Good morning, saints of Advent. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. A couple of comments. If you watched the divine service this morning, please don't text or email us. We're well aware that we had some audio issues. I apologize for that. We put some new equipment into play and at the last minute uh, had a problem that we weren't we were unable to isolate. So we chose to go ahead and stream so at least you had something. Uh, we'll have that fixed uh, by next week. Um, let me just say I'm probably where all the rest of you are at with this. I am fed up and sick and tired of this whole COVID-19 thing. Um, I'm ready to get back to normal. Um, I understand we can't get back to normal just yet. And so the frustration level for myself is up here. And I have been short of temper lately. Uh, thanks to my family for putting up with me. And I apologize for that. Uh, and I'm sure you're probably feeling some of that as well. Which is why we need what today is, a day of Sabbath rest, a day to be convicted of our sin, a day for repentance, and a day of absolution. So regardless of bad audio or not, uh, the Lord uh, has absolved you, has forgiven, and has fed you uh, with his powerful and almighty word. And as we learned uh, from our epistle uh, text today, which was a, a really, a really good text, uh, everyone who has been born of God overcomes the world. And this is the victory that has overcome the world? Question mark. What is the victory that has overcome the world? Our faith. Now, what does that faith grab hold of? Uh, John continues, who is it that overcomes the world except the one who believes that Jesus is the Son of God? So you and I have victory with Jesus Christ, connected with him in his death, uh, and also united with him in his resurrection. That's where baptism comes in, and that's why John continues in the epistle text that uh, Jesus Christ has come by water and blood. Okay, uh, So go back and review that text. Uh, that's just simply a marvelous and excellent text. Okay, Last week, uh, over the Bible study, I asked you to send in a picture of you and your family worshiping together. I've received a handful of pictures so far, uh, not enough that... Uh, that we're ready to put together a, a slideshow uh, that'll be just private for our church, a private email address or website. Um, so take a picture today of you and your family. If you have an Easter photo that you took outside your home, um, that sort of thing, email it over and we're going to try and get a slideshow together here sometime this week as soon as we get a few more pictures to come in. Thanks to those that have sent the pictures in. It's good to see your faces and uh, glad to know that you're able to still worship and gather together even while we're apart as well. Okay, uh, I don't know if I have too many other announcements. Um, our parking lot uh, is for the most part completed. At least the new asphalt is laid. It looks really good. Uh, Lightning McQueen couldn't have done a better job, uh, at least when he was driving slow and did it right. Uh, and the parking lot's good. They will be striping it and finishing the rest of it up here the first part of this week. Okay, So if you are coming in for word and sacrament today, for absolution of the sacrament, uh, you'll want to come in the east entrance. We do have the west entrance uh, just taped off, trying to keep some of the general public off of our lot for the time being. Okay, looks really good. Thanks to our anonymous donor uh, for the parking lot. What a wonderful uh, gift as well. Okay, um, let's see. What else do I want to mention? I don't know if there's too much else. Uh, hopefully, you're getting the email announcements, that sort of thing. Um, yeah, that's 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 about all I have for now. Okay, uh, any other questions that came in over the internet yet? I'll open it up for any questions. Last week, I want to clarify just a couple of things. I don't know if you can see this whiteboard up here. 
but uh, we talked briefly about voting and making decisions, uh, and I made the comment that I'm not, you know, <laughs> I don't really like voting because it, it creates winners and losers, and more than that, voting emphasizes individual rights. And so in the church, we are to be servants of one another. We're also supposed to be households, so you're not supposed to have husband and wife pitted against each other or children as well. And so the way that we've, we've structured, at least in the last 50 to 150 years, and this Walther struggled with this, you know, when we get to kind of the voters' assembly, um, pastors and people obviously should stand together and work together, but there's not supposed to be power one over the other. They're supposed to work together. So if you read the book of Acts uh, and other places as well in the Bible, you'll find that uh, the elders and the people came together and, and they mutually decided things. Now, I received an email question this last week. Well, you know, if we're going to cast lots, are we leaving it to chance and then saying that God is ordaining that or choosing that? That's, that's you're, you're on the wrong foot there, okay? So I want to go back. You know, you have good options, and you see I've got one, two, three, four. So these are, these are good options. And, and, and forget about the whole voting thing. Let's just say that you've got a decision to make in your life, okay? Uh, and you've got four options or four possible roads you can go down. They're all good. Okay, they're different, uh, but none of them are sinful. None of them are wrong. You can take this job or you can take that job. You can uh, live in this house or you can live in that house. Okay, they're all good and viable options, but different. Okay, then you have other options, as you see here, five, six, and seven. Those are not good. <laughs> okay, for whatever reason, um, and we won't just say that they're sinful. Let's just say that they simply are. They're not viable. Let's say that, uh, you know, um, you want to buy a new house and you've been approved for, pick a number. Say you've been approved for $400,000 or $500,000 um, and you're looking at million-dollar homes, okay? That would not be good because, one, you haven't been approved for that amount. Two, you can't afford that, okay? So you need to be looking at the four or $500,000 homes over here that you're approved for, okay? So... When we're talking about um, casting lots or that sort of thing, we're talking about choosing from options that are all good. And here's how we're able to do that. We trust that God will bring about good for you always. Okay? So there is no right or wrong path, you know, that out of the good options, you know, two is, is good and one is bad or that sort of thing. These are all viable options. The Lord promises to provide for you no matter what you choose. And out of his grace and mercy, he gives you freedom. And that's where we talk about free will this side of heaven, okay? not in spiritual matters, but in physical matters. And he promises he's going to provide for you. Okay, So um, the only time that we start to talk about God speaking is where he has promised to speak. Okay, So let's say in the church, you know, you've got, you know, you've got, uh, you need a new pastor, as we talked about last week. And you've got seven candidates, okay? And let's say you've identified four candidates that are solid, faithful pastors. They're going to preach law and gospel. They're going to properly administer the sacraments. You've got three other guys on the list. You've listened to their sermons or you've watched them, and you're like, okay, I know they're Missouri Synod, but that's not for us, okay? That's, that's, that's not good. So you've got four. Well, which one is the best? <laughs> Don't become an enthusiast. 
And if you want to learn a little bit about enthusiasm, go open up your Book of Concord and especially look um, at the formula, okay? It gets into enthusiasm quite a bit. Reverend Brent Kuhlman has also done a lot of work on enthusiasm, um, and enthusiasm is, is believing or maintaining that, that, that God is saying, you know, do this, you know, or do that apart from where he said that, okay? So where has God spoken to us? He's spoken to us through his word, through scripture, and he's spoken to us through his sacraments, okay? Um, and so we've, we focus or simplify those things. So we get to the other matters, okay? You've got four guys that are all ordained pastors. They're faithful law gospel preachers and practicers. Practicers. My, my simple point would be, <laughs> you know, why would it matter about voting or whatever? If you've got four good guys, then cast 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 the lots <laughs> just do that um now do we trust that god is going to provide through that yes now through the church he promises when his church uh is doing that that he is then um speaking and working in that manner through the church okay uh because he's given that authority to the church uh to choose from amongst those brothers okay I don't know if that helps at all. A couple of you sent me emails this last week, and that's something we can continue to talk about a little bit. Um, I'm not suggesting that we totally take voting out of the church, um, although I have seen where you know voting in the church just it creates winners and losers. And not only creating winners and losers, I've seen it divide families, where you have a husband and a wife, two different opinions, um, and instead of, you know, one vote per household, now the, 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 the husband's got to vote, the wife's got to vote, all the kids over 18 have votes. Um, and that's not how Scripture works. It's not about individuality, okay? Um, so Marquardt's going to get into this a little bit, hopefully later today in our study, where we start to take that of the state and bring it into the church or vice versa. The church is not the state and the state is not the church, they are both ruled uh, by Jesus, who's been given all authority under heaven and earth. Okay, um, so we'll get into that. This gets theology is messy, as Doctor Nagel said. Uh, deal with it. So please don't be offended by anything I've said. I'm just asking some questions uh, about you know what's the best way to kind of handle things. And when we look in Scripture, what do we see in Scripture? You know, just come back to Scripture. Um, and they had contentions. They had issues. Um, you know, Peter and Paul. <laughs> didn't get along, they made up, uh, and, uh, you know, so you, you have divisions within the church, and so you see that through some of the early councils as well, uh, for better and for worse, okay? Ah, coffee, good. Good to see your faces today, or <laughs> at least have you see mine. Let's pray. Almighty God, grant that we who have celebrated the Lord's resurrection may by your grace confess in our life and conversation that Jesus is Lord and God. Through the same Jesus Christ, your Son, who lives and reigns with you in the Holy Spirit, one God, now and forever. Amen. We are continuing our study, uh, finishing up the Saving Truth Doctrine for Lay People uh, by Kurt E. Marquardt. Uh, Professor Marquardt uh, now rests from his labors uh, with the saints above, awaiting our Lord's return. And we give thanks to God for his work. Uh, we are on page 138 of chapter 8. Chapter 8 is One Holy Church on Earth and Heaven. Uh, the last uh, paragraph there on the bottom of page 138. While ministers are called to particular congregations or fields of service, they may later be called elsewhere. 
Therefore, the whole church has a stake in who is admitted into the ministry. Congregations must take proper accounts of this legitimate interest of their sister congregations. An Orthodox minister in one place is recognized as such by the entire Orthodox church everywhere. This double aspect of a ministry in one place, but recognized in all places, is reflected in our liturgical language. Quote, ordination signals a man's entry into the ministry as a lifelong work. It happens only once. Installation or investiture places a minister into his particular charge. And of course, that may happen repeatedly. The evangelical understanding of the ministry differs from both Roman Catholic traditionalism and Reformed Biblicism. Rome holds that the traditional division of the ministry into bishops, presbyters, and deacons exists by divine command and institution. Eastern Orthodoxy and the Anglican Communion largely share that view. The Reformed, for their part, hold that the New Testament prescribes a particular form of church structure or polity, although they differ among themselves about exactly what the form is. It is typical of the Reformed approach to see a number of different offices as divinely established in the New Testament than to try to copy just these offices for today's church life. The Lutheran Reformation, by contrast, recognized that no uniform pattern of offices can be found in the New Testament and that behind the variety of forms lies basically one office of the gospel and sacraments. When the seven were chosen in Acts 6, for instance, this did not single the creation of a new divinely prescribed office. Rather, the church acted in Christian liberty to make provision for very important practical needs, precisely in order that the one divinely established office of the gospel might devote itself, quote, to the ministry of the word of God. Okay, now I'm going to go back to the board here. <laughs> Are you able to see this okay on the screen? Okay, if I write big, he says, okay. So let's take, for example, you have these terms in Scripture. Elder, uh, whoops, presbyter, okay, uh, deacon, okay, uh, let's see, what else am I missing? Elder, presbyter, deacon, um, well, bishop, that would be another one. Yeah, let's, let's stick with those for now, okay? So you'll find these terms um, used, well, bishop technically wouldn't occur in Scripture, I don't believe. So let's just stick with elder, presbyter, and deacon, Okay. Um, now, when you, when you look up the word elder, if you go to the concordance on the back of your study Bible, and you say, hey, I'm elected as an elder at Advent Lutheran Church, let's see what the Bible has to say about me, and you open up the Bible, and you're like, oh, my, well, that's a lot of qualifications, husband of but one wife, da-da-da-da-da, okay? Elder in Scripture is not the same as lay elder in the church, okay? These are all ordained men, Every single one of them. Presbyter, ordained. Deacon, ordained. This is what Marquardt is getting at. Okay? And this is a contentious... No, no, no. Let me, let me rephrase that. There are those, even within Missouri Synod history, that do not properly subscribe to our understanding of this from Scripture. So elder, presbyter, and deacon, those are all ordained. Okay? Uh, you can say in this sense, they're all pastors. Now, however, 
they serve in different ways within the church. Okay? And we see this in German. You know, an elder, you could have, uh, uh, for example, a, a Borstea. Um, you, can, you can have a teaching elder. You can have a ruling elder, uh, presbyter, uh, deacons. They're all still ordained. Okay? So what's interesting is we don't see in the New Testament <laughs> a lot of, quote, lay people. I mean, there are lay people that are doing work. Think of Mary and think of Martha um, you know, think of those who support the church and that sort of thing. But what's emphasized are actually those who are in, and this is where we get into the German, das Amt, the office. Okay? And that's what Marquardt's getting at. Now, I saw, I saw a hand go up, so we had a question. Oh, you're trying to zoom in. Okay. Well, just so you can hear me, elder, presbyter, deacon, what Marquardt is teaching us and what, what I wholeheartedly agree with and that we confess technically as Missouri Synod Lutherans is that the two, these terms are for ordained men. They're in the office. We do not ordain our lay elders here. Okay? Um, CFW Walther borrowed the term elder, technically he borrowed it from the Presbyterians, reformed, and he put the word lay in front of it uh, to have an assisting um, uh, helpers for the pastors and the churches. Now, that, those are man-made offices, and that's perfectly fine. We can have man-made offices in the church. We can have as many man-made offices as we want. Okay, um, Where that's become a little bit of a problem uh, in terms of the church and state issue is the IRS has, has said that you can be a minister of, of the gospel. So for tax status, um, you, can, you can have a benefit uh, within that, but to be a minister of the gospel. And so to qualify for that, the IRS has certain standards for that. So what we started doing in the Missouri Synod is we started officially calling um, all of our other offices outside of pastors, teachers, uh, principals, um, you know, lay deacons, lay deaconesses, that sort of thing, okay? Um, and we started officially calling them so they too could be ministers of the gospel. Um, well, that's fine for the secular world or for the, the civil side, but in the church that doesn't mean then that they are ordained. So I've talked with Lutheran school teachers before who, well, this is why we need to do public services, meaning we need to preach and teach at a chapel or we need to do that so we can fall under the IRS requirements of being a minister of the gospel. Well, that's contrary to God's word. If you're not a man and you're not ordained, you shouldn't be publicly teaching and preaching, okay? Um, especially if those are going to be services for, you know, the public that are going to be open to people. If it's a teacher that's just teaching in the classroom or teaching within the school environment and leading, you know, devotions and prayer, then I'd say that's perfectly fine, okay? Uh, but publicly, uh, those are supposed to be the pastors, okay? So, so we have this little bit of kind of a sticky wicket uh, within how we're kind of set up as the Missouri Synod, um, and we just need to be mindful of, of <laughs> who's doing what. Uh, and when we talk about terms that the New Testament uses, like elder, presbyter, and deacon, we need to understand what those mean. When we talk about terms that the IRS uses for the state, minister of the gospel, we need to understand that that's their definition. That's not the church's definition, but we live in that world, so we need to find some way of working that together. Okay. I think I'm kind of talking around the subjects. You'll email me your questions and your comments, but um, that's what Marquardt is getting at. Okay? One ordained office, 
Uh, that's what Christ has established. He hasn't established any offices outside of office of pastor. Within the office of pastor, Scripture gives us you know, those who would uh, rule or be in charge of others, those who would teach, uh, those who would assist uh, for human care and human need, you know, that sort of thing, which is really kind of the work of the, of the diaconate of deacons. Okay, any questions or no questions coming in and no rotten fruit being, fruit being thrown my way? All right, let's pick back up. This is, we're on page 139. This is not to say that it is wrong to divide the one ministry of the gospel into various ranks or grades. Pay attention to Marquardt here, as circumstances may suggest. Several Lutheran churches have maintained or restored the threefold bishop, presbyter, deacon scheme. However, all such rankings are man-made and exist by human authority alone. They fall in the realm of Christian liberty, not of divine command. Further, no human scheme or authority can strip a minister of the gospel of his responsibility to confess the truth and, if necessary, to suffer for it. In the New Testament itself, presbyters, elders, bishops, overseers, are not initially on different levels, but are, in fact, the same people. Acts 20. They're, they're ordained. They're ministers of the gospel. Das Amt. In short, as there is only one life-giving gospel about which everything in the church uh, revolves, 2 Corinthians 2, 2-5. Yeah, 2 Corinthians chapter 2 to chapter 5. So there's only one public ministry which dispenses the sacred mysteries of God. And that's from 1 Corinthians 4, 1. Beyond that office, the church may establish as many auxiliary officers offices as in Christian liberty she may think wise. Finally, it should be clear that there is no competition whatever between the priesthood of all and the public ministry of some. The proper work of a priest is to sacrifice. As God's holy priesthood, Christians glorify God for his grace by offering themselves, yes, their bodies, not words, primarily, or things or actions. Okay? This sacrifice forms their sublime worship. Their self-offering takes place basically in the course of daily life and calling. So being a spiritual priest does not mean playing assistant pastor or exercising some sort of leadership role in public worship, although it does, of course, include a life of daily prayer. The entire priestly life revolves about the altar from which Jesus, the high priest himself, distributes until the end of time forgiveness, life, and salvation with his own very body and blood. Those priests who are also called as ministers simply serve their fellow priests in faithfully and publicly proclaiming, transmitting, and distributing these divine riches. Okay? So all of us as Christians are priests, all right? But not all of us as priests are pastors. Pastors are those uh, who meet not only the requirements of Scripture, okay, male only, but also are called by the church. To serve in that stead. Okay? Any questions? All right. And now we get to a part here of this chapter that I kind of wanted to get to last week because uh, no doubt as you've been following all the COVID stuff, you know, there's a lot of questions that have come up. You know, how much authority does the government have over the church? Can the church uh, or, or can the government uh, close us down? Good question. Um, is, the, is, is the government, by uh, requiring us as churches to close or dictating how we worship or even how many people are here, are they overstepping their constitutional bounds? 
great questions. Okay, um, and if you follow anything online or just the news, um, you probably have had some of these questions, and and I think they're valid. They're valid questions, so we need to make sure that we we look at this through the eyes of Scripture. Um, what I do wish would have happened in a little different way with this whole COVID thing is I wish the government for us as churches would have asked us to do things in a certain way, okay, instead of telling us that we can't do things in a certain way, okay? Um, so there's a little bit of a difference there, and yes, I do have a constitutional opinion on that. Your opinion might differ in that regards, uh, and that's where we need to come back to, you know, one, what Scripture says, and, and two, you know, what on the civil side our government has said, okay? Now, at the same time, I'm called to obey the authorities, as are you, okay? That's, that's part of our job, okay? I do not believe that the government is doing what she's doing to keep us from believing a certain way, okay? I don't believe we are currently being persecuted uh, in this, you know, for the sake of what we believe, okay? A couple of reasons that I would say that. One, this is affecting everybody, whether you're a Christian, whether you're a Jew, whether you're a Muslim, um, a Mormon, Jehovah's Witness, you name it, all churches or people of all beliefs are affected by this. So it's not just like, hey, you Missouri Synod Lutherans, you know, you can't have more than, than 10 people gathered together socially uh, besides the essential workers. You can't, you can't do that. Uh, but we're going to let the, the, uh, the synagogue over here uh, or the Mormon steakhouse, they can, they can do that, but not you. So, you know, so let's, let's not get too uptight. Let, let's understand, you know, you know, what's going on with that. Um, yeah, okay. I don't want to get too far off topic, but, but how far does the, the state go with that? We as a church are, are, are willingly following what the government is asking of us. That's where we're at right now, okay? Now, um, that could change, folks. <laughs> we'll see how things progress this next couple of weeks. You know, I'm getting antsy, you're getting antsy. You know, I believe that we could practice safe social distancing and still have worship in some way, shape, or form that would be safe and appropriate, okay? When you take square footage that we have here uh, and people staying six feet apart with other precautions, I think that's completely doable. And, you know, this question has popped into my mind when I've gone to Meyer and I see a parking lot full of cars and I walk into Meyer. And there are hundreds of people at Meyer. Um, <laughs> and you talk about square footage. I see 10 people going down the aisle. They're not practicing social distance. They want an item from the shelf. They go get it. If they happen to be next to someone, they, they try not to breathe or they're covered up or whatever. Um, but, uh, you know, so to say that we as churches can't, you know, can't gather and still practice that same social distancing, I, I don't know about that. Now, that's, that's my opinion, uh, and I'm not speaking here for, for us as a church, but those are some questions I've had about that. Um, I want to be safe. I want to protect the weak, uh, and I want to attempt to follow what the government has asked of us, which is why we're doing what we're doing. But at the same time, um, yeah, I mean, if church really is essential, then, you know, we should, we should, we should be able to have a, have a way to make that happen, Okay. Uh, let's move on here because we'll, we'll get into a few other things. Church and state. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lorded over them, says the Savior, 
and their high officials exercise authority over them. Not so with you, Jesus said. Instead, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, Matthew 20. So being a Christian starts with being a servant first, uh, serving others, uh, doing what God has asked you to do in your vocation, uh, and not putting yourself first, okay? Um, and that's why, you know, we have to be careful when we gather together as leaders of the church or when we gather together for voters that you're not trying just to advance your own opinion. What's, what's best for the church? How do I serve my neighbor? Okay. And you know me, I'm an outspoken guy. I have opinions. I can come off condescending. I have to work really hard uh, at, at, at being a servant and making sure how I say and what I say doesn't come off that way. And I'm, I'm a sinner. I'm not perfect at that. Okay, questions? No questions. The kingdom of Christ and the kingdoms of this world are totally different. John 18, verse 36, read it with me. Jesus said, my kingdom is not of this world. Now, it would be quite wrong to imagine, however, that God rules only the little patches marked church while having no effective control over the rest of the universe. God indeed rules the kingdoms of this world too. And in the interest of his church at that, uh, and if you look at Romans 8, 28 to 39, Let's pull that section up, can we? Romans 8, 28 to 39. That, that's a good, a, a good section. Um, you know, leaders in our government need to be reminded uh, by, by us uh, that, you know, they don't serve at their own whim, um, or I would say even just at the behest of, of us citizens, they serve under God's <laughs> uh, domain, all right? Um, and so, you know, good leaders that, that, that I look up to in our civil realm uh, are men and women um, who understand that God still reigns o- over all, okay? Uh, and that's a, that's a little different way of looking at things, okay? Uh, Romans 8, uh, 28 to 39, just follow along here, okay? Okay, we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good, for those who are called according to his purpose. You can also take that passage back to what we talked about with uh, voting or casting lots. If you've got three or four good options and you don't know which one to pick, that's why I would say cast lots, you know, roll the dice. Let's not talk about chance and that sort of thing. Uh, Just pick one, however you want to pick it. But you need to trust what? You need to trust these words. We know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. God doesn't say, hey, some things work for good. God promises he's going to provide good for you, uh, whether your decision is a good or a bad one, because you're his child. And so faith grabs hold of God's word and trusts that. Okay? Uh, Romans continues, verse 29. For those whom he foreknew, he also predestined to be conformed to the image of his Son, in order that he might be the firstborn among many brothers. And those whom he predestined, he also called. Those whom he called, he also justified. Those whom he justified, he also glorified. Now, who can know the mind of God? Not us. Only God. Okay? Uh, before he formed us in the womb, he knew us. Okay? Uh, he knew whether we would you know, have faith uh, and receive his gifts, uh, gifts uh, or not have faith. Okay? Um, so... What a, what a wonderful comfort, and that's where we look to our baptism. You know, am I chosen? Am I saved? And I would simply ask you, are you baptized? Because if you've been baptized, and this is why as parents we want our children baptized as soon as possible, that's God saying, this person is mine. Now, can you reject that faith? 
as Judas did uh, and others? Of course you can. You can take off your robe of righteousness like the man at the wedding banquet, you know, and, yep, you know the rest of the story. 31, what then shall we say to these things? If God is for us, who can be against us? Great words of comfort uh, for us uh, always. He who did not spare his own son, but gave him up for us all, how will he not also with him graciously give us all things? So what is uh, Paul reminding you of here? What is the Holy Spirit reminding you of? How will he not also with him graciously give us all things? God's going to give you all that you need to support your body and life. So if you're worried, you're fearful, you're sitting at home without a job right now, you're not sure where, how you're going to cover a bill, okay? Uh, first of all, if you have a need, call us as pastors. We want to help in whatever way we can, okay? So you're not alone in whatever you're dealing with. Number two, and more importantly, the Lord knows your need, and he will provide a way for you, okay? doesn't mean that you might have to make you know some changes, or you might have to go through a time of suffering, but he will provide for you. Who shall bring any charge against God's elect? It is God who justifies. Who is to condemn? Christ Jesus is the one who died, more than that, who was raised, who is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. Let's back that up a little bit. Jesus is at the right hand of God, who indeed is interceding for us. So Jesus, who has now uh, born all the punishment, rose from the dead, sits at the right hand of God as we confess in the creed. He yet rules over all things. He rules over the church and he rules over the state. Question. Oh, two questions. Oh, yeah. 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 Cheap grace, not a good thing. Okay, you know, whether you know something is sin or not, first of all, if God has declared it's sin, it's sin. Secondly, to say, well, I know I'm going to be forgiven. I'm going to go ahead and do it anyway. That's a rejection of faith. That decision then that you're making is not based on faith. It's a rejection of God's word. I know I can be forgiven, so I'm going to go ahead and do it. Okay. Let me tell you, those of you that are parents, how would that work with your kids? <laughs> That's not going to fly. That doesn't fly with God either. Okay. Now, in the midst of his grace and humility, uh, will he forgive us? Well, is there repentance there? Is there faith there? I mean, that's the question. But to say, well, I'm going to be forgiven so I can go ahead and transgress God's holy law. Then you're, dude, you're rejecting God, and that's dangerous ground. Okay. And while you have breath in the body, is there always the opportunity for repentance? Yes. Furthermore, what does Jesus tell the apostles? How often are we supposed to forgive our brothers? <laughs> Seven times 70. This is the Buzz Lightyear answer to infinity and beyond. Do we like that answer? No, of course we do not. Okay. Uh, so cheap grace is very dangerous because it's a rejection of faith. Question two. Um, well, first of all, I don't think I said that. I think I read those words from Romans. And let me read those again. Or give me that question one more time. Okay. Okay. 
Well, first of all, let's let's make sure we use the proper language, okay? So if I understood the question, God knows whether you're going to be saved or not. Let's back that up just a little bit. Who did Jesus die for on the cross? Everyone. Jesus saved the whole world by dying on the cross, okay? So let's make sure we use proper language here, okay? Um, now, who is going to receive the benefit of Christ's redemption? Those who have, what was our epistle reading, uh, reading for today uh, from 1 John? Those who have faith, okay? Faith justifies faith now that, that grabs hold of Jesus. You got it? So faith grabs hold of Jesus. That's why we call it objective justification, okay? Faith grabs hold of what Jesus has done for us of who he is, okay? Now, God knows who will have faith and who will not. Scripture says God desires all to be saved and to come to a knowledge of the truth. That's what Scripture says. Will all then end up being saved? No. Why? Because they will reject, okay? Why? I can't answer that question. I know what Scripture says. There will be a separation of the sheep and the goats, on the last day, of those who have faith and those who do not, those who are Jesus' little lambs and those who are not. How do I know if I'm Jesus' little lamb? Are you baptized? Okay. Um, you might waver in your faith and your understanding a little bit. Remember, faith even the size of the mustard seed. And we just don't want to go too far with this. We want to come back and hear God's words. If you're questioning, oh, am I, am I saved or am I going to go to heaven? I, are you baptized? If you are, your name's written in the Lamb's Book of Life, period. You are his child, and yet you're still a sinner. Simul justus et peccator, okay? Uh, you, you are still a sinner while you draw breath in the body. So you're going to have ups and downs in life, but your faith is that Jesus says, no one can snatch them out of my hand. In other words, you know, how do you not be in Jesus' hand after you've been baptized and had faith? You jump out. Okay, you take off your wedding garment. Okay, um, so okay, any follow-up questions on that? All right, back to Marquardt. Any questions from our audience? No, we're good. All right, where am I at here, Matthias? Oh, we just read. Did we finish Romans? Oh, we didn't. We did not finish. Uh, uh, so Romans uh, eight continues. So who shall separate us from the love of Christ? This this is goes right to what we're talking about. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Out tribulation, danger, uh, distress, persecution, famine. I know I read those out of order. Nakedness or sword, as it is written, for your sake we are being killed all the day long. We are regarded as sheep to be slaughtered. No, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him, through Jesus who loved us. For I am sure that neither death nor life nor angels, nor rulers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor powers, nor height, nor depth, nor anything else in creation will be able to separate us from the love of God in Christ Jesus our Lord. Okay? <sighs> Comforting words. I don't know what else to add to all of that. Okay? Uh, that is wonderful assurance of God's work in Jesus Christ for you. It's also a reminder that He does all the work. So it's not about, did I make a decision for Jesus? Am, am I living, uh, you know, the best? Am I living my life for Him? Now, those are all questions you can ask, but in terms of being saved, it's what has He done for you? You know, 
Remember the big honking crucifix that's above my head here? This beautiful crucifix? God has done all this work for you. You can't go and die on a cross and pay for your sins. You can't ascend Mount Zion on your own. Jesus does that for you. He descends from heaven in the incarnation. He comes into your flesh and mind to take our place. He opens heaven. Okay? Um, that's why Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. And this is the other thing that a lot of people have issues with. The only way to the Father is how? <laughs> through the Son. It's through Jesus. Okay? There are not many ways to get to the Father. Only through the Son and through faith in Him. Okay? So that's the exclusivity of Christianity that a lot of people, you know, bump heads against. Okay? So I've heard a lot of talk, you know, I mean, on, on news and stuff about, you know, kind of generic God and, 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 and praying to God and, and, and how this is a good time for faith. And my first question is, faith in, in who? Faith in what? You know, as I listen to even some of our leaders, you know, pray, I get really nervous when our governor or our president or whatever start talking just kind of generally about faith or about God. Okay? Um, why? <laughs> is it through Jesus? Because if it's not, I would prefer that you just keep your mouth closed. Now understand what I'm saying. Okay? Because other people can misinterpret that, and that's where we get into... <laughs> syncretism, uh, that, that all religions are the same and that there's many paths to get to God. It doesn't matter whether you're Jew or Hindu or Christian or Jehovah's Witness or Mormon. You all worship the same God. No, we do not. There's only one true God, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit, and there's only one way that you're saved, and that's through Jesus Christ, His Son. Scripture is very clear on that. Now, for that, confession. Will we be persecuted as a church? You betcha. <laughs> Jesus was. The disciples were. Okay. So we, we need to be firm on those truths of Scripture. Okay. Back to Marquardt, shall we? Okay. Oh, we're just not, we never get far enough. This Bible study needs to be like three hours long each week. Yeah, you'd fall asleep, wouldn't you? Okay. I'd love it. Okay. Oh, where'd I go? Okay. Here we go. Okay, so God indeed rules the kingdoms of this world too, but in the interests of his church at that, but by very different means. In the world, generally God rules by his directive and permissive will and with irresistible power. The instruments of his rule are the various created orders and authorities, such as nature, marriage, parents, teachers, police, judges, armies, and the like. Here, lawful governments have a perfect right and duty to, quote, use the sword, Romans 13, to enforce civil order and justice. This is the realm not of the gospel, but of the law, indeed of that natural law which is accessible to all men through conscience, common sense, and moral reflection. Let's do one more paragraph. Christ's church has altogether different aims and methods. Okay? So first of all, the church is not supposed to be structured and look like the state or vice versa. Okay, which sometimes it does. <laughs> okay, here Christ rules with His grace through His holy gospel and sacraments. So, who is the foremost authority in the church? Jesus. What are the primary means through which He rules in the church? Word and sacrament. Which is why the primary work of the church 
which we are continuing, by the way, is Word and Sacrament. That's why we're doing this over the Internet for you. I hate doing this, not teaching to you. I hate dealing with technology. I hate that, you know, <laughs> you, know we, uh, you know what I mean, okay? Because the church is supposed to be in person gathered together. And that's why we continue to do absolution the sacrament. So we stay within what the civil government has asked of us. You can come in here in a very safe way, receive absolution, receive the Lord's body and blood, and go on your way, okay? That's why we're continuing that work, because that's the most important work of the church, okay? The church is the beachhead of heaven on earth, Galatians 4, Philippians 3. Her divinely given mission, Matthew 28, that's baptism. The celebration and distribution to mankind of those riches of eternal life, which God has given the world in his Son. So Jesus comes through these means, baptism, absolution, the Lord's Supper. This is mandate talk, okay, very important. The New Testament, and therefore the church, has no political, social, or economic program for the world. It's not our job as the church, okay, to control the world, okay, or to provide in those other, other ways. Word and sacrament is primary. Now, can the church do some of those other things? They can, but don't misunderstand. Of course, the church's strictly spiritual life and work do have profound political, social, and economic effects within human history. Let's do one more paragraph. Significantly, when the Savior was asked to adjudicate a quarrel about an inheritance, Jesus replied, Man, who appointed me a judge or an arbiter between you? You see what Jesus is getting at? He's saying that's not my job to, you know, make a civil decision. Okay? Instead of a lecture on social responsibility, Jesus went on to give a warning against greed. Jesus was identifying sin. If Jesus then, who is the judge of the living and the dead, disclaims jurisdiction in this sort of dispute, by what right can his modern representatives claim the authority he refused? <laughs> Good question, Marquardt. One more paragraph. Modern churches vie with the United Nations uh, organization in making pronouncements about affairs all over the world, globe. The apostolic church's agenda in Acts 15 was rather more modest, taking no notice at all of the grave problems besetting the vast Roman Empire, the Council of Jerusalem dealt only with questions which, though they may have sounded petty, impinged on the very nature of the gospel. This concentration on the saving gospel, see Galatians 1, kept the apostolic church from the fallacy which seems so self-evident to the World Council of Churches in Amsterdam in 1948 when its report on the church and the disorder of society is set by the responsible society as the goal for which the churches in all lands must work. When the Christian congregation at a given place comes together, this is not to promote general uplift, community service, or social crusades, but to worship the risen and present Savior. So what's the primary job of the church? To worship the Savior, which means receive his gifts. Okay? And to receive, cherish, and transmit the saving power of his cross and resurrection. The church's solemn assemblies participate in the greatest mysteries in heaven and on earth as, quote, with angels and archangels and with all the company of heaven, we laud and magnify his glorious name. So it is frivolous, even sacrilegious, to treat the awesome transactions between the Most Holy Trinity and his priestly people as useful publicity stunts for various worthy causes. Okay? And we're going to close here with these, uh, this uh, quote. Uh, this is uh, from Lutheran Confessions. Therefore, the two authorities, the spiritual 
and the temporal are not to be mingled or confused. For the spiritual power has its commission to preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, right? So this is what we confess as Lutherans. The church's job is to do what? Preach the gospel and administer the sacraments, okay? Hence, it should not invade the function of the other, should not make or prescribe to the temporal power laws concerning worldly matters, okay? Leave that for the legislative branch of government to make laws, right? Uh, Leave it to the judicial branch to judge those laws, okay? Uh, Leave it to the executive branch then to enforce and administrate those laws, okay? Um, Thus, our teachers distinguish between the two authorities and the functions of the two powers, directing that both be held in honor as the highest gifts of God on earth, okay? I think part of the challenge, my closing comment is this, is we, li- we live in a society today where we, we, for the most part, well understand civil authority and organization. Okay? But as our Constitution guarantees uh, <laughs> the opportunity to assemble together and to believe okay, that Congress should make no rule uh, guarding our faith or our religion, that you know, that which used to be on equal standing, okay, uh, is, you know, by practice today, churches are, 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 are kind of down here, okay? And, and, I, and I think religion, as we, as we have it in our Constitution, and I'm proud to be an American for this reason, you know, our Constitution talks about that division between church and state, but an honor and respect for each other. Sometimes, however, and I'm saying this as an ordained pastor, you know, I feel that the state and even culture looks at me as an ordained minister or us as a church as kind of being down here, okay? Um, And so, (laughs) now the rest of you can figure out what we need to do about that. But in the meantime, I will continue to do the work for which I'm called. We will continue to do the work of the church, and we will, of course, pray uh, and as best we can support our leaders as well. Any closing questions? All right, let's close with the Lord's Prayer. Lord, remember us in your kingdom and teach us to pray. Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. For thine is the kingdom and the power and the glory forever and ever. Amen. Christ is risen. Alleluia. He is risen indeed. Alleluia. Amen. Peace be with you.